This is BGC Video Game Cast, episode number two, for March 7, 2006. Welcome to the second episode of VGC. I'm here again with Joey Ginsberg. Hello. And I am Devin Taylor, your host for this episode. Uh, we have more topics to talk about the industry of video games. So uh, we have first topic tonight. We're gonna get we're gonna jump right into it. Here we go. Uh, we're gonna talk about the history of controllers. We're gonna talk about uh, next gen consoles, and we're gonna talk uh, more about the Wi-Fi connection from Nintendo. And we have even more topics than that, so let's go first to uh, Joey. Okay, the controllers we're talking about is for the three main consoles. Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. Each of them is coming out with a new console. Except, Xbox has already come out with this new console, so we can actually see the new controller right right in front of us. You know, we can actually mm -hmm. play with it, we've seen it. These other controllers we've just seen pictures of, we, we can only imagine how great they're going to be. Mm -hmm. Like we have the, the PS3 quote-unquote self-proclaimed boomerang controller. We have the Revolution controller, which is going to be the main topic of uh, this history of controller section. And uh, we have Xbox 360's controller, which we have used and we have played with. We know this controller is not a revolutionary controller. It is an evolutionary controller. It has started from the basis of an Xbox controller and has evolved into what it is now, the Xbox 360 controller. Uh, we'll start, we're going to go back in time. We'll start off with the original NES. You look at the NES, it is a, a D-pad, the very first console to have a D-pad. It had an A button and a B button. A very simple setup that we still see today on Game Boy Advance. Uh, it was used on the original Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, and Super Nintendo took the same approach as the DS, where Super Nintendo had A, B, X, and Y, just like the Nintendo, uh, the Nintendo DS. Yep, that's true. Then when we move on to N64, the controller actually starts to change form. It starts becoming a little bit bigger, more buttons, a little bit more of a modern type of controller. It's more complicated. Yes. Uh, Nintendo was very secretive, as they were about the Revolution controller. The same, uh, they were very secretive about uh, the Nintendo 64 controller. They were very secretive about uh, what type of input it would use. Like, when they first unveiled the analog stick, it was a huge, huge controver uh, controversy because nobody knew. What this, what this analog stick was. It looked like a mini joystick. Because we've all used joysticks on our Ataris and the arcades. But no one's ever seen an analog thumbstick before. And it was so successful. And they, they also had the rumble pack. But these two features are so successful that the competition quickly copied their ideas. And now we have the, PS, uh, the PS1 DualShock controllers. And uh, we have the Xbox controllers which currently also have rumble and have analog sticks. But no, what's kind of ironic is the actual company actually made Nintendo making this joystick on their new console, the Revolution, they actually have two separate controllers. One for the buttons they can actually play with the four pad and a separate plug-in for the actual joystick. This is going to be a two-hand type of thing, so it'll be separate, yet they'll still be together while you're playing a game. It'll probably give a kind of a weird feel because there's no set length or width for the actual two controllers when they're combined. Mm -hmm. It's all about you holding the controller, the, the wireless controller, um... The nunchuck attachment is what the analog attachment is called. Uh, the freehand controller, which is just the, the remote unit itself, can also be used for 
regular input devices. Like you could use it for, uh, hence like swinging a baseball bat. It's all 3D motion tracking via sensors. I'm sure uh, people who are listening to this know that. You place the sensors on your TV and it uh, tracks the 3D motion and uh, it's all sensory input devices. And the funny thing about it is, like, going back to the joystick a little bit, was PS2, PlayStation, and also Xbox, they always, like, they two is always better than one. As when you look at their controllers, they always have two analog sticks instead of one, while Revolution is kept it very simple, but it's still that one joystick, which is, I think... Which, uh, has, it doesn't even need to be used. They don't even need to use the analog stick. Yeah, that's, that's true. an attachment. But yeah, but also it kind of does separate them because when you look at the controllers of Xbox and PlayStation, they're kind of similar. They have a lot of buttons that are very kind of similar, just in different places. While Nintendo is still completely different than all the other ones, with Nintendo's new almost remote controller TV changer look instead of the two instead of the full hands on, you know. Mm-hmm. I understand uh, they were trying to shy away from the conventional controller type. I just find it interesting that. They created the original D-pad, and that was used and used for generations of Sega on uh, the original PS1 before they had the analog sticks, and then they introduced the analog sticks. Now, everyone uses the analog sticks. Then they introduced Rumble. Now, everyone uses this Rumble, and what Nintendo feels is that this new Revolution controller will be so successful that it becomes the standard for the industry. Yeah, but going to personal things, I remember the first time Devin showed this to me while we were at school. He brings in these posters of this controller, and I'm like, wow, that's great. It's a TV remote, so what's so special about it? He's like, that's not a TV remote. That's the new Revolution controller. And at first, I thought he was just fooling me, like he did something like that in Photoshop. But then I started to look at it, and it actually did look like it could work, and it could be the real thing. What do you think? And we had a discussion throughout classes, and we were figuring out whether or not this is true. Uh, we we uh, knew about TGS, uh, the whole uh, announcement of the Revolution controller. We were very excited. When we first saw the Revolution Controller, I, I was skeptic. I, I looked at it and I said, what are they doing? I can't believe they're having this. It's a television remote that's going to be used to play our classic games. How, how is this possible? But then, as I, as I was reading articles and understanding how the sensory inputs worked, I was really quite amazed with the capabilities and the possibilities that this controller had brings to the world of gaming. And uh, I have a feeling it may become the standard of the industry. I mean, as, you can, as I know, and I'm not sure how many other people do this, when I'm playing a game like a racing game and I have to swerve right or swerve left, I'll actually move my hands with it. And that's kind of a natural thing. And sometimes I won't even realize it. The, with the new revolution, when you actually have to move the controller to drive it, it almost seems like it'll be a lot easier for the person because it's almost a natural thing they've been doing for such a long time. They just don't even know mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Like, like I, I had the same experience like when I'd be playing when I was younger. And I'd be tilting the controller to the right, tilting it to the left controlling the the cart on the screen, but nothing's happening. I'm still controlling it with the D-pad or the analog stick. But now, when you tilt the controller, you're actually inputting information that the console can read, and you're actually controlling the cart by tilting the controller. It's revolutionary. And this gives a complete new freedom to gamers. It allows them to use either the actual four-pad controller, or they can have a little bit more fun by waving their hand around and having a little bit more exact control over it. There's also, it's not just racing games that will use it, mm-hmm. right? It's all different types of games, sword fighting games, sports games, every type of genre. FPSs have a huge amount of game in this, uh, I mean, game in this. Just imagine shooting when you have somebody right behind you and you got to quickly like move your gun, but you can't do it fast enough. Now it's just as fast as your hand movements. This gets more people interactive. It's almost like they might forget they're playing a game. It's kind of real <laughs> oh, life, yeah. you know? You point the gun at the screen and you click it. And this is no light gun. 
This is full motion tracking. You point it at the thing you want to shoot, and you will kill the thing you're pointing at. It's great. I mean, you look at the DS. The DS is basically a Super Nintendo controller with uh, with a touchscreen. And then you look at the DS versus the PSP, I know we touched on this last time, but then uh, the DS is actually outselling the PSP because of its difference. Uh, it has two screens and a touch element. Nintendo's hoping that it will be the same thing in the console arena. They're hoping that, quite possibly, the Revolution will sell more uh, than its competition just based on the fact that it is different and the games for it will be excellent. That is true. Moving on to a new topic is... As a lot of people have seen commercials on, they've advertised this very heavily as GameTap. It's a .com that allows you to download old games made by different companies that are very small, short, kind of arcade games that are kind of classics in many people's eyes. And yet they also have the big games like Sonic and Pac-Man, all the ones that everyone used to play. Everyone loves these games. Um, GameTap is a service that costs $10 per month. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we were thinking about is, would this at all be affected or would it affect the Virtual Console or the Xbox Live Arcade service? Because we all know that the uh, Live Arcade service and Virtual Console are ways to play old games via downloads, and uh, GameTap is quite similar for the PC. And uh, just like the PC versus the consoles, I think that different people will choose the different things. But also when you compare it to Revolution, being able to allow people to get so many different games of past Nintendo systems, mm-hmm. I'd almost rather play it on the Revolution than going onto a website and playing it on my PC. That's another thing. I don't think that they're gonna they're gonna hurt each other. I think they're gonna they're gonna exist next to each other and they're gonna help each other. It's gonna be a, a complement to each other. Uh, one is going to to have uh, all the old arcade games. One is going to have all the old Nintendo games. One is going to have new games. And uh, some old, like, Midway Arcade games, Xbox Live yes. Arcade. Um, so they all have different games. And that's key. If you have three different services that have three different types of games, then you could have three different types of people all signed up to the different services. But also, even though they might have different games, the only thing that could hurt them was when you have some overlapping games, which will not surprise between the Revolution and Games Tab, mm-hmm. because Game Tab has a lot of Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. When you look at the pricing... No, I, I don't believe GameTap has Nintendo games. They have Sega games. Well, they have Sega games, but when you look at the pricing, I think the pricing will also come into play. As you said, $10 for GameTap. I don't know how much Revolution's charging. I mean, for all we know, they might charge $5 because it's just putting these old games mm-hmm. they've already manufactured mm-hmm. into a way for other people to download. Yeah, it costs them virtually nothing to put it on. So uh, that's very good. Uh, either way, the Virtual Console is going to make money. The Live Arcade Service is going to make money. And... Uh, GameTap is currently uh, making a lot of money, so I think that uh, there's no problem. They're all going to work; co- they're going to coincide with each other, and it's all going to be uh, very nice. Uh, I like the future, like stream comment, uh, content, like Steam mm-hmm. and uh, the new EA's the EA uh, games download service. It's all becoming very virtual through the internet now, and I, I kind of like the way it's heading. It does help. I mean, being able to download games kind of takes away from going to the store and finding out they're sold mm-hmm. out. Now you know they have unlimited copies of downloadable games, and you're still paying the same price, and there's no difference except you're saving yourself the hassle and you're getting the game instantly. And then you have to worry about, uh, the main thing I have to worry about this is, you look at Blockbuster, for instance. Blockbuster has taken a huge hit from online services such as Netflix and uh, the movie downloads that you can pay for and download movies, and On Demand. All these services are really making a trip to the video store a thing of the past. Yeah. And this could happen with, with uh, gaming retailers. Imagine always downloading your games, 
you will barely ever have to go to a retailer. This could really affect GameStops and EB Games around the country. But the thing that, that GameStop does is they do have an online service. You can order the game itself, and they'll still have mail you a copy. In an online store, yes. Yes, but few, for different things, different companies might be able to figure out a way to put them as all just download. Digitally, yes. Yes, so you pay the 50 bucks, and you just download straight there. You, know, you could pay through PayPal, send checks. We're already seeing that with, us, with Steam. But those are kind of a smaller, more online-based games. If well, you, you, know you, can, uh, you can download uh, Half-Life 2, I believe, right right from the Steam download service. Yeah. It, it's quite an, an, uh, an improvement and advancement, mm-hmm. but we're going to have to see how this goes in the future. Definitely going to be big. And uh, we're going to move on now to the Nintendo DS. Nintendo DS Wi-Fi connection has one million people on the service. One million individual people, not connections. Wow, yeah, I I really think Nintendo really has done a, a wonderful job. The Wi-Fi connection right now only has three games. That's Animal Crossing DS, Mario Kart DS, and Tony Hawk American Skateland. And that's a that's kind of a tough task because many people would like even like the Tony Hawk American Skateland, they might not be Tony Hawk fans, they might not like that game, or they might have played it for another console or system and just feel like why pay for it on the dual screens. So you pretty much, if that happens, you're left with two games. Mario Kart DS, extremely popular in both U.S. and Japan. Mm-hmm. And then you got Animal Crossing, which is, I do remember, did make a pretty big impact when the original mm-hmm. one came out. Yeah, they're both great games. I think uh, Skateland is also a great game because there's many, many uh, Tony Hawk fans out there. There's many skating fans out mm-hmm. there. Everyone, uh, skate, uh, I don't know a lot of people who skateboard. Everyone likes these type of games. I mean, I personally played 1 through 3 of Tony Hawk. Then I played uh, the Underground series. I really like the way the series is headed, although we get a lot of the same. Um, I really do enjoy it, and I really am, I've enjoyed American Skateland. I thought it was a good game. I, I really think it brings something fresh to the DS, something I really wasn't expecting, and I, I really like the way it turned out. But the other thing I'm really kind of happy about with Wi-Fi is that as Nintendo gets its millionth, down, millionth player recently, they're not just going to sit down and just let it keep playing out like that. They're still coming out with new games, new features for this Wi-Fi to improve it to get even more. I mean, just wait. Over time, we could even get to a billion with how many more games <laughs> they could get out. But, a billion. But look at this technology. Being able to talk while playing in a lobby. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen that on Xbox 360, but never on a handheld before. Yeah. And you, know, you look at uh, a Metroid Prime Hunters, which is going to use VoIP, voice over IP or VoIP. We talked about that last podcast. Um, you look at, at new games coming out. We have two new games coming out this month for the Wi-Fi connection. We have Metroid Prime Hunters, and we also have Tetris DS. And these games are, are going to draw on a lot of female players, a lot of hardcore gamers. So we have a really nice uh, month of March for the Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, actually, we were looking at our Game Informed magazine, a very good magazine for game information. It also it showed a little graph of Metroid games over the over history. When you look at how many games have come out for Metroid, and when you look at on a five-point scale, pretty much every game is a 4.5 or 5. That's how great they are. So when you see a Metroid Prime Hunters for a, for a portable with talking, a new capability that other games don't have, I mean, that's almost like asking for a 5 right there. Yeah, it's going to be a great game. I heard the multiplayer is amazing. I'm going to touch on that later with our, our preview of Metroid Prime Hunters. And, um... Uh, I have to say, though, if you look at the million people in four months since uh, Wi-Fi Connection has launched, and you look at Xbox Live, I think took over a year to get one million players on its service. I think this is an astounding achievement. I, I really applaud Nintendo. 
I think that the Wi-Fi connection is, is a great service. Yeah, and just imagine, if Nintendo can get one million doing this, just imagine how much more they can advance with this, knowing that they actually have so many supporters of what they're doing, that this is not a failure, it's such a good progress in their advancements. I mean, I can't wait for a year or two now, when you never know what could happen. I mean, you, can mm -hmm. almost, you might be able to even see a player playing you while you're playing the game. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, it's going to be a worldwide event. I really think that they have a lot to do. Uh, they're definitely on the right track. There's still a lot more they can improve on. I think they're gonna they're gonna have a very successful service with the revolution, both for online games and for game downloads. I think that uh, we have a really really nice Nintendo online experience to look forward to. Yeah, but also when Revolution finally comes out, that kind of gives Nintendo a little bit more free time to work on both systems without actually have to hassle and put all their efforts into pretty much one while putting another one to the side. Almost, would you agree? Uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think it's it's all right. Okay, well, sticking on the portable aspect, what do you think about this portable Xbox console called Origami? Well, I was looking at this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Origami is pretty much a tablet PC, touchscreen and everything, that can pretty much do everything a regular PC can. It runs PC applications. And uh, we also, in the video, present uh, the presentation of the Origami, there is a clip of a person playing Halo... The actual Halo on a portable console. And this would be an astounding achievement if they had Halo on a portable console. That'd be, you know, I'd definitely play that. But then again, is this really a portable a portable console? Is it more of a laptop? We don't know. Uh, it hasn't really been officially announced as Xbox Portable. It's more of Microsoft Origami being produced by Creative, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, made the Creative Zen Portable Media Center. Mm -hmm. well, when I think about video games and portability... I really don't think of something being able to be mobile. I think of something that's small, easy to play, and it's actually you can travel with it. Laptop, big, bulky, it's kind of, it's almost a thing to have, just to have, almost. It's mm -hmm. not, I wouldn't say I can just bring it anywhere and play, because, I mean, a laptop's pretty important. Just imagine how, if a laptop is cost about $1,000, 2000 just imagine one that you can actually play games on also. It's going to cost mm -hmm. a lot of money. I don't think people are going to want to really take the risk and bring it everywhere they go. You it, know? It's going to be like one of those things, like you see a lot of those media center portable things now, where you're going to have it, you're going to love it, but you're going to love it so much you're going to be afraid to take it anywhere. You're going to take it to the bus? Uh-uh. You're going to be afraid you're going to drop it. You're going to be afraid someone's going to take it. You're going to be afraid someone's going to lose it. it. It's just, you have to draw the line. And When something is so expensive you don't want to take it places. Then you know you've pushed over the line. But when something is is cheap enough where it's like, I want to use this to play games, only games, all I need it for is games, I can take it places, I'm not worried about it. Like like the GBA. If you lose your GBA, you know, too bad. But if you lose your your Arcos AV seven hundred portable media center for eight hundred dollars, then you you're you're definitely in trouble. You need to fork over a lot more money to get another one of those. Like same thing with my DS is I have I bring it a lot of places I go. I even lent it my sister one time. She dropped it a few times. I was not very happy with her, but it's still it's in fine condition. I mean, with a laptop, you got to be really careful with it. That's not something you can really. You have to be kind of in a set place to play. Like, yeah, sometimes I'll just be walking around <laughs> playing it. I mean, it's just that. Well, easy. The worst part is, is like, if you look at the PSP. I'm a lot more worried about my PSP dropping than my DS drop. Mm -hmm. Well, one one thing is, uh, DS folds over. It covers up its screens. PSP doesn't. The origami doesn't. The origami is not like a laptop where it closes. 
the origami is pretty much a screen. If you drop that thing, it's going to be in pieces or it's not going to turn on. But the DS, one thing I've learned about Nintendo uh, handhelds, you can abuse those things and they still work perfectly. Well, we don't suggest it, of course. <laughs> yes, we don't suggest you chuck your, your GBA at the wall and celebrate after it still works. Well, yeah, that's true. Also, since we're out, got on the portability, we forgot one console we haven't really talked too much about, and that's Sony. There has been talk about Sony coming out with actually a new PSP that's 8 gigabytes, that uses damn flash memory, instead of just using a little small chip like they have been. Well, Joey, supposedly, Samsung has contacted uh, Sony, and they're currently in talks of creating an 8 gigabyte NAND brand flash memory for the PSP. And this is supposedly going to be internal. It's going to be inside the PSP. So they actually have to release a new PSP. Uh, I don't see how they could possibly have it as an add-on. Uh, I know they have uh, they have uh, memory sticks now, the Pro Duo. There's actually an 8GB one out. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can buy it yet, but I think there actually is an 8GB one that has been created. Um, so I think for them to do this, I mean, it'll be great. But the only reason that they want to have 8GB in the PSP is if you're really focused on the media like the music or the uh, videos. But then you have a video iPod. A yeah. video iPod that you can have uh, pretty much cost the same exact thing as a PSP that holds 30 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. Or you can up it 100 bucks and get the one for 60 gigabytes. That's a lot more memory than, than 8. I mean, honestly, if, you're pl- if you mainly buy a PSP for games, there's no point in buying this 8 gigabyte thing. I mean, no one's going to be rushing to the stores Unless they're really hardcore movie fans and very hardcore PSP fans. And if you're really a hardcore movie fan, you won't even need to rip off the movies because you'd be the one who's buying the UMDs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, UMDs, they're, they're the same movie. What's the point of downloading it onto your PSP when you can just buy a UMD mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about it? Well, the point is to save the money. You don't want to buy it if you can download it. Well, it's not but even uh, downloading. It's maybe just getting the movie, like paying for the movie online and then putting it onto your PSP is also, you know... Well, I, I think the, the video aspect of it is much more for people who have television shows or, or Sony, I think, is starting up their own iTunes-like service where uh, you can actually download TV shows and stuff like that. So I think they're trying to prep their PSP for that. But I don't, I don't see that service catching on. I mean, iTunes catches on because you have video podcasts. You have a podcast like we're listening to right now. You have uh, uh, videos you can download from the store. You have, you have TV shows, music. Everything, but the most important thing is the iPod can hold a lot more memory than any PSP. But I think PSP, like Sony, is going to make itself not such a hassle because it's not going to be that probably not that hard for them to make these PSPs. If you think about it, they already had the original technology of a PSP, and they've kind of made it work really well. I mean, I haven't had any problems with actual internal pro- like internal well, bytes, like losing pixels. I, I, I see where you're going with it, but if you think about it. If you add 25 cents onto everything, like, like to the original cost of a product, you multiply that, that 25 cents by 3 million. And you, you almost, you know, you multiply it by 4 million, you have a million dollars extra that you didn't need. But also, I mean, if you, you, then you charge a little bit more, but the people are still thinking they're getting a great deal. Instead of rushing out and buying like a $150 or $200 8-gigabyte chip and getting a $250 product, they think they're actually pretty, getting a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I would personally rather wait until uh, the chips go down in price and buy a one or two gigabyte chip mm-hmm. and just watch a couple movies, delete them off the stick, watch a couple more movies. I think eight gigabytes is not nearly enough to put a whole collection of movies onto. But we also might not know. I mean, for all we know, they could pull out like a 16 gigabyte. We don't know this as like 
right now it's set, just like the PS3. We don't know. They could add new things to it, or they could not be doing anything well, to it. Well, supposedly know? they're also looking for a micro drive, which is basically a, a mini hard drive that could also be processing 8 gigs or more. Mm -hmm. The problem is a hard drive takes longer to load. I know PS, uh, iPods have hard drives. Um, but I, I just don't see this happening for the PSP. And if it does happen for the PSP, I, I don't see lots of people buying it. I mean, it's kind of taken away from the idea of it being a PlayStation Portable. It's more like a movie player portable, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. If you think about PlayStation, when you hear the word PlayStation, you think of the word games. When yes. you hear the word PlayStation Portable, you think of a gaming system. But, like, 90% of the people haven't had new content to play on their PSP for a long time, and they're just working on music and videos. And, and me, I personally, the only reason I ever touch my PSP is for homebrew. Well, tomorrow won't be that big of a deal because since we're getting Shun Budokai, which looks like a pretty good game, so we will have something to keep us pretty entertained. Yeah, yes, tomorrow, uh, if you listen to this podcast now, tomorrow is definitely when uh, Shun Budokai releases for the PSP. I can't wait to go and get it. It's going to be great. Uh, I, I, I'm a big anime fan. My friend, my other friend is a huge anime fan. Uh, I can't wait to see the fighting system in the game. I liked Budokai 3. I know it's based on that. And uh, for anyone who's listening and has a PSP, if you're looking for good content, I think uh, Shin Budokai is, is a pretty good Dragon Ball Z game. I think it's going to be a good game for your PSP. But since we don't have it, I want to pose one question to you. It's something that PSP has been doing recently to try to get rid of the homebrew idea is to make games a required 2.0 or 2.6 download. Yeah. Do you think Shin Budokai might do that? You know what? I, I was thinking about that. I know we touched on this last time, how they're forcing people to, to upgrade. My PSP is 1.5 right now. If they force me to upgrade with Shin Budokai, I'll, I'll be so pissed. You don't, you don't want to believe this. I, I, I don't know if I even play the game. I know my friend, he's already said to us that if, it's, if they upgrade, he's going to. And I know I'm going to upgrade mine soon because I still have to play Lord of the Rings. I've been waiting to get that game going. And I know that for a fact is a 2.0. I mean, that's, that's another thing PSP is doing is they're kind of pushing this onto us without the consumer's consent, you know. They, they know it's a good game. They know the Dragon Ball Z's have sold so many different games for different, counts, for their different consoles. They know that if they do it, not that many people are going to argue it. They're kind of have, they're just going to suck it up and take it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I really think Sony's really trying to... Like, every game that's going to be good to come out is going to need 2.0 or higher. You look at GTA. GTA is such a huge, huge fan base. And they released that in the PSP. Bam, you have, like... Everyone who likes GTA is now upgraded to 2.0 or higher. Okay, and... We're getting close to the end of our show, but we're going to do a little preview of Prime Hunters. Devin, take that away. Metroid Prime Hunters is going to be a Metroid Prime-style game with new characters. Characters that we have not seen before. Uh, these characters are new bounty hunters that are going to be looking for Samus, I believe. We have Caden, Trace, Spire, Slux, uh, S-Y-L-U-X, Noxus, and Weevil. Uh, these people are competitors of Samus, I believe. And uh, I heard the single player is going to be just a tad shorter than Metroid Prime. And that the multiplayer and all the other features, the whole entire gameplay experience, if you were to play the entire game and all the features of the game, is going to be as much or just shy of Metroid Prime 1 and Metroid Prime 2 combined. This game is going to be massive. 
This game is going to be one of the best first-person shooters, if not the best first-person shooter, for the DS console. But just wait, the fun doesn't stop there. After you beat the actual one-person mode, you can go on with your few buddies and go play yourself a four-person deathmatch, no holds bar, right? Yes. Four <laughs> people on Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, VoIP in the, in the, 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 the lobbies, and after the game in the lobbies. Uh, no voice chat through the game, though. That's a negative, but it's still good. And uh, you're going to be facing your friends in a four-player deathmatch. I believe there are also other modes you can play. And uh, the game is going to be one hell of a title. I, I can't wait for it to come out. Well, since that game is not out yet, and we haven't really played it yet, we were, are going to give you a game that you should that you can go pick up right now in your stores. That game is Mario Luigi Partners in Time. This is another DS game that really well, very well uses the, du the dual screens. How they kind of use it is, usually during the battle, you can actually do a text that will actually take you up into the second screen and then bring you down to the first screen again for timing. But also, when you're not doing that, it's second screen services a nice map so you know where your characters are at all times and you always, can lo you always know where you are and you never get lost. Yes. I mean, I I've played Partners in Time. I I've never finished Partners in Time. I'm currently, I have it on my DS right now. I mean, I played it, it only took me three days, but that's also 30 hours I put into it. It was just that I couldn't put it down. I mean, I did everything. It doesn't take a full 30 hours unless you want to do every little thing, which I did. But it also is just such a fun game because just imagine the premise of your Mario Luigi, and it's just like Mario Luigi like, uh, Super Sagas, which was such a fun game. But now imagine you're adding Baby Mario Mar and Baby Luigi. You're adding twice the fun, and guess what? <laughs> You get to go back in time, and then in the in the future, you also have all this different stuff you have to do. The story, <laughs> the story is a huge paradox. I mean, you look at the story, you go back in time and change something, nothing gets changed in the future. I, I don't know exactly why, but uh, I mean, it, it's still a great game. I, I love the story. I love how the RPG element plays in. It's pretty much you know you you run into people. You beat them using either bro items or you can jump on them or hit them with a hammer. Uh, there's so many different items in the, in uh, this game. For uh, the the battle system is just great. Yeah. And I, I've beaten so much of the bosses already. I I've played about ten hours into the game. Joey's finished the game. Uh, it took him thirty hours. But I played everything. I did not leave out any armor. I got every secret. I did everything. I made sure my guys were strong enough. I think I maybe died once. So that was just when I screwed up in a battle. If you're looking for a 30-hour experience, that's a 30-hour experience. Well, more like 20 to 30 hour, depending on the 20, how. 20 to 30 hours, depending on, on how like how much like how complete you finish the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, if you're looking for, I think this title is is what uh, 34 dollars, 34.99. No, I think it's 30 now because it's been out for a while. 30 dollars. Are you sure about this? I think so. Uh, this is a great title to pick up. If you haven't picked this game up already, you have to do it now. I, I love this game. I I'm so far into the game. I can't wait to finish the game. And uh, Joey, what did you think of the game? I thought it was great, but there's one other thing I want to bring up. In many games, I don't like to just do a battle and walk around and talk kind of system. This game actually kind of challenges the mind somewhat because each character has a different special they can do. You can either roll up into a ball by hitting each other with a hammer and then rolling over the next walking over the next person you can do a spin into a tornado and keep going farther you can do double jumps if you have your babies on your back 
I mean, it allows you to actually have to think a little bit. Not too hard. I mean, we don't want to hurt those people that aren't <laughs> used to it, of course. But they do make it somewhat of a challenge. So it kind of hits every aspect of a game that you expect. Mm-hmm. It's a great... It's, it's very fun. Uh, the, the voice acting, although there really isn't any... There, there's funny sounds that each character makes. And, and it actually tells the story very well. I, if, imagine like a Zelda game, for instance... Where like you have the little you know hey voice and then they then you have the dialogue right it, it, this is kind of like that and I think it tells the story beautifully I, I think that the game for what it is is a very great game uh, I love this game you got to pick it up for the DS and the only last thing I'm gonna say is that you got Baby Princess Peach and Baby Bowser and guess what Bowser isn't the main bad guy in the thing there's another one but that's all I'm gonna leave you at oh yeah this well, is you know I have to say more okay. I gotta say more. Baby Bowser and Bowser are bad guys who wind up helping you in a very strange way. And that's all I'm going to say. If you guys have any topics you would like to see us discuss, any of them at all, if you guys would like uh, to to maybe even send us a recording in an email, a recording under 30 seconds, uh, anything you'd like, we would like to feature you on the podcast, just send uh, your name, send uh, uh, what your topic is, or send a voice recording of your topic. Or you can be anonymous if you don't want your name to be said. We'll just say this: e- we got this email from anonymous. Uh, so, uh, if you really want to participate, we'll definitely talk about it. We'll mention your name in the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to have any guest speakers today. We only have uh, me and Joey, but that should change in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we would like uh, participants to be featured on the podcast if we uh, we're going to run some competitions later. Um, but also, make sure. also another thing is like, let's say there's a game you want to buy, but you don't know how good it is, and you haven't found any good reviews. Email us the name of the game and ask us to do a review about it. And we'll do a review. We'll tell you if it's a good buy or not, and we'll let you know. I mean, we'll, we're making your job easier as a gamer, you know. Yeah, we, we have a lot of knowledge on what's coming out and what's out already. Uh, if you have any questions or uh, any comments, you want to let us know how we're doing. You like our podcast? You think it sucks? Doesn't matter. Uh, email us at videogamecast all one word, at gmail.com. Just send us an email at videogamecast at gmail.com. Videogamecast at gmail.com. And with that, this has been your VGC Video Game Cast of the Week. This has been Joey. And this has been Devin. And we're here to say goodbye. goodbye.